Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning of Tuesday, February 11th, the day after Legends Night at Rogers Arena, where your Vancouver Canucks have handed the Nashville Predators a 6-2 defeat uh, at Rogers Arena, as I mentioned, on home ice, getting back to winning ways after a tough outing with the same score on Saturday night, falling to the Flames 6-2, to uh, dispatched by Calgary on that night. Uh, I wanted to have a show out breaking down that game over the weekend, but a uh, little, little technical difficulties besetting uh, the, the computers uh, in my place of employ at the moment, which has, mean, has meant that my job just takes way longer as I wait for things to load, which means uh, by the time I'm done, I'm tired and I do not want to stick around. <laughs> and record a podcast for an extra half hour at the end of my shift. Uh, But I'm doing it tonight. I'm doing this for you uh, to be available to you in the morning. Uh, Again, as I mentioned, after the Nashville Predators have fallen 6-2 to at the hands of the Canucks, uh, because i got to get some content out here for Sedin Week. Are you kidding me? This is the biggest week of the entire season. I've been looking forward to it right from September. I think a lot of people have been. I know there are people flying into Vancouver this week uh, from all over the place, whether that's from other parts of Canada, other parts of North America, other parts of the world. This is like the time uh, of you know the decade, basically, the last 10 years. If you're going to make a pilgrimage to Vancouver to attend a Canucks game at Rod Arena, you would do it this week during Sedin Week. Uh, whether that's Legends Night, that of course we got to witness last night, or whether that is the actual retirement uh, jersey ceremony, which is coming up uh, on Wednesday. I can't wait for that. You know what? Like the emotions on display are going to be. Uh, you know, it's going to be a raw emotional night. It's going to be electric, though. I think because there is just a bottomless pit of love for uh, Henrik and Daniel here in this city, the things that they have done, uh, what they have meant, and just what they stand for, what they are as a spectacle within sport itself. And this is something that I can dive into a little bit more as the week goes along. But, like, man, there's just nothing like the Sedins. There really wasn't at the time. But now that it's over, and I kind of felt this, you know, during their final moments uh, a couple seasons ago, the the last games that they played, whether that was uh, here in Vancouver or the very final game against the Edmonton Oilers that I kind of got together with a, a bunch of uh, friends for a, a group watch, a night out at the bar, uh, a Canuck tweet up of some sorts, a podcast meetup uh, to watch that final Sedin game. There were a lot of feelings that night. There's going to be a lot of similar feelings uh, this week on Wednesday. But the biggest thing is just like two twin brothers who had, you know, whether you want to invest in the idea that there was some sort of psychic link on display there or that these guys just knew each other's tendencies from being around each other and from playing basically right from the very first moment. Uh, either of them ever laced up their skates or, you know, had their skates laced for them by by a parent or whatever. Whatever you want to subscribe to as far as the explanation as to how these guys just could thread passes knowing where each other were on the ice at all times, they were magic. They were something that you will never see again. Twin brothers playing on the same team uh, in the same city for their entire careers. That will never happen again. Not in hockey, not in any other sport. Two twin brothers who in consecutive years 
won the scoring race, should have won the Hart Trophy. Still not over that, Corey Perry, you asshole. Uh, <laughs> goals in October count the same as goals in March and April. God damn it. Uh, that's how Corey Perry stole the Hart Trophy. Uh, that's that's still a raw nerve. You know what? It's close to 10 years later. No, I have not gotten over that. No, I have not gotten over the fact that we were deprived of back-to-back Hart Trophies because that is, like, just think about that. It is pure insanity that twin brothers would, a- would be able to do that in-, in any given league, first of all, but as teammates on the same team playing together. It's madness. It will never be seen again, not just in hockey, but in any professional sport ever again. There will never be anything like what we got to witness for nearly two decades here in Vancouver. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of emotion on Wednesday, but there was a lot of emotion on Monday as well. I was kind of surprised by it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, It it kind of caught me off guard how much uh, Legends Night and uh, seeing Trevor Linden and Marcus Naslund primarily – uh, you know, the the video package from Pavel Bure, who was supposed to be there last night. I know there's a lot of fans who are upset with Pavel Bure, like as a human being, apparently, that he wasn't there. He desperately wanted to be there. He could not get a visa uh, to make the trip and attend. But by all accounts, look, go back and listen to my conversation about Pavel, largely about Pavel, two-episode interview with Patrick Johnson that ran on the show last week about you know, Pavel's uh, lengthy history with Vancouver, by all accounts, having his jersey retired uh, by this franchise, getting to come back to Vancouver for that ceremony was a surprisingly emotional and important night for Pavel Bure. And I'm sure that he would have uh, done anything to be at Rogers Arena last night to be able to feel those feelings again because I, you got to hand it to the Canucks. Like, they have done a fantastic job with everything that has gone into the 50th anniversary celebrations this season. You might not uh, think that they did their math right in terms of which season is actually their 50th anniversary. There might still be some uh, people who are sticklers on, uh, eh, 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 it's not actually your 50th season until next season. But the ceremonies, whether that was you know the, the season opening ceremony, uh, bringing all those legends from the past back, handing Bo Horvat the C on the same evening. Um, you know, pretty well every single specialty night that they've done, 70s night, 80s night, I'm sure there's a 90s and 2000s night still to come. Maybe they've already done 90s night, and I've, I'm blanking on it for some reason. Either way, it's just been really, really well done. And as someone who, you know, likes to bag on the team a little bit and likes to point out the things that they do wrong and the things that drive me insane, you have to pause and say kudos uh, to the things that they have done right because I felt some feelings seeing Trevor Linden again. I felt some feelings seeing Marcus Nasland again. And it's funny because we, we all, I feel like, felt a, a little bit of fear when Linden took that president job, which he talked about on the broadcast last night being an unenviable position, basically nowhere to go that was going to go well for him, um, which I, I think is a bit of a fair comment given the state of the team at the time. I think they made things worse for themselves, definitely, but I don't think there was an easy solution, contrary to what Jim Benning said at the time uh, that he was hired, uh, regardless. Um, just, you know, uh, there was this fear that he was going to ruin himself for this city. The Vancouver's golden boy, 
the man who could run for mayor, the man who could do no wrong, was going to tarnish his own image to an irreparable extent uh, by taking this job and running the team into the ground, basically. But by leaving at the time that he did and leaving in the way that he did, um, you know, basically being forced out while trying to say that everything that we have done thus far has been wrong, we need to do this the right way, finally. And that being the straw that broke the camel's back and pushed him out of the franchise, it's, look, we love the redemption story in this city, whether it's Roberto Luongo, whether it's Louis Erickson, whether it's Trevor Linden. He has been redeemed. He was probably the subject of more derision and scorn than even Jim Benning was throughout that tenure because ultimately what the power structure of the organization was was that the buck stopped with Trevor Linden. And, uh, you know, he was the the grand poobah. I had so much fun saying that word last week when talking to Daniel Wagner, so busting that one out again. Um, <laughs> he That's what he was. And he, it, it, all of the team's successes would have gone to him, all the team's failures did go to him and being forced out for trying to do the right thing and, you know, being a voice that we know now after the fact, you know, a lot of people will push back on, well, I don't know how we really know this. I don't know that this is entirely a confirmed reported story. We know that he was one of the voices that was championing, uh, championing, championing. There we go. Hard word to say. Championing Elias Pettersson over Cody Glass. Imagine, imagine if you will, if this franchise had drafted Cody Glass instead of Elias Patterson, where we would be right now, it would feel like, like Edmonton, like an endless rebuild, like we were never going to get out of this thing. Even with Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes and Bo Horvat and all the pieces that have come together here that have you know looked good, the center of this entire thing is Elias Patterson. It's why the Canucks looked just lost last week when they played a single game without him uh, in Minnesota on Thursday after he was hammered by Grizzlick in Boston. Um, you know, the fact that he is one of the voices who fought so hard for Pedersen to be the pick, him and Judd Brackett and uh, Thomas Gradine were the, were the three who outvoted Jim Benning and John Weisbrod. Um, it is a scary prospect. I, I, like, I think a lot of the consternation around the possible exit of Judd Brackett this offseason is the idea that if he was not there, the Canucks would have drafted Cody Glass because that's, ben- that's what Jim Benning wanted. That's what John Weisbrod wanted. Trevor Linden had to fight for that pick. It was the last act that he really made before he was forced out, and it paid off spectacularly, and that alone has helped kind of rebuild his image and rehabilitate him in this city um you know it's it's just uh it was it was it was good to see him it was nice to hear from him on the broadcast talking with dan murphy on the tv side last night as well hear hear him telling stories about um his first interactions with the sedines and and kind of uh he could remember the exact number of games that the team was under 500 when he arrived back in Vancouver uh, from, from uh, I guess he was acquired back from the Islanders, I feel like, when he came back. I don't know. I'm having a hard time remembering the particulars of that exact trade that brought him back to Vancouver 
for the second go-round. I think it was New York. Regardless. Either way, I can't remember that trade. Trevor Linden can remember the exact number of games that the team was under 500 when he was giving rallying speeches to the Twins about don't give up on North America. You got the skill. You got the talent. We're not a, a, a team that's as bad as it might feel right now. Stay with this thing. Um, just nice to hear from him. Nice to see him. And, you know, he's been noticeably absent this season. It's it's crazy to think that a guy who's had a relationship with this franchise that goes back a good many, many years, many decades at this point, um, you know, close to 30 years or so that he's been involved with this franchise, that he would be absent from so many of the festivities so far this season. So good to see him. Good to see Marcus Naslund as well. You know, uh, it, it is so easy to look up at the rafters when you attend a game at Rogers Arena or think about the fact that 22 and 33 are about to go up to the rafters and make that six retired jersey numbers, seven unofficially if you include Wayne Mackey's number 11 uh, for this franchise that has really never accomplished anything in its 50-year history. seems crazy that that's way too many jerseys retired. Uh, they shouldn't have retired any of those numbers. The only jersey numbers that should be in the rafters for this team are 22 and 33, and that's it. That's all. Those are the two best players that exemplify this franchise. I've said that before myself. I've gone on the radio and said those exact words. I have. I'm guilty of what I'm criticizing. It's easy to say that when those memories feel distant, when Marcus Nasland feels distant, when his accomplishments and what it felt like to watch the West Coast Express feel like a uh, far-flung memory. And, you know, Stan Smeal is probably the the most disregarded player in that regard because there's an entire generation. There are multiple generations now of Canucks fans who never watched this guy play even one single second. And they look at the career numbers and they look at, you know, all of the things that uh, you would think go into retiring a jersey and say, well, that guy doesn't deserve it. I have no idea. I I wasn't around. I was around for Marcus Nasland, and I was a guy who said he doesn't deserve it. But when I saw him, when I saw the video package that they put together, it 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 felt right. You know, it it did feel like the right thing. Pavel Bure as well. His video package tugged on the heartstrings, made me realize, man, how cool this guy is. It felt right. It, it, I am I am as someone who has criticized the Canucks in the past for having too many retired jersey numbers. I will. Uh, accept defeat on this one. And maybe they still do, but when you have an emotional night like they did on Monday, it all makes sense. Anyway, more than halfway through the show here, haven't even talked about the game itself, which was, of course, tremendous. I'm sure if the Canucks could have their druthers, they would like to play the Nashville Predators every single night of the entire season. Their power play is running at an insane percentage against Nashville this year because Nashville's penalty kill is just stayed and doesn't move. It is frozen in place. And the Canucks power play, which has not had much you know, movement on it of late, that has been the criticism that they have kind of gotten stuck into a rut here, uh, that they do not necessarily look as good as they could of late on the man advantage, something that had been their strength up front uh, previously in the year, has gone away. Well. It, it looked like it was in motion against a pretty slow, pretty stayed, pretty uh, stuck-in-quicksand penalty kill from the Nashville side, who got it together a little bit uh, late in this game. But the Canucks win the season series. They sweep it, in fact, take all three games against the Predators, 
and uh, probably would like to play them all the time because this is a team that um, Vancouver just looks great against. And I, you know, I, and who knows? Who knows what it is? It's you know what it is. It's the fact that they are not as good as they have been in the past, and they do not play the kind of smothering defensive style that has given Vancouver fits all season long. That was the case in Boston, certainly. You know, I've talked about this on the show before, the fact that whenever Vancouver runs up against a team that has a heavy defensive structure that is not the St. Louis Blues because Vancouver does get up to play the cup champs, but other teams that play a smothering style, the Canucks have had problems with all season long. And the number one thing that was getting exposed last week was the fact that Vancouver's defense is terrible in terms of coverage. Jacob Markstrom stood on his head. He was the best Canuck in the game on Saturday night against the Calgary Flames. They still allowed six goals. How is that possible? It's possible because the D has been bad, but the team has been bad over the previous three before Monday as well. And this homestand came at the perfect time, not just a homestand, uh, where the Canucks have been you know, very, very good, excellent, some might say, on home ice of late, but a homestand that has such emotional nights on it, not just Legends Night last night, but the Jersey retirement as well on Wednesday. They are going to be fired up to play these games, and they need that spark again in their lineup. It has been missing. Um, they had it, certainly, on Monday. Quinn Hughes had it in particular, despite the fact that in his postgame comments, he just said, I was all right. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing special for me. Just a, just a totally normal game in which he had a three-point night once again, three assists on the evening, six goals scored by the Canucks. Quinn Hughes assisted on half of them. Launched himself into first place in rookie scoring, overtook Kale McCarr again, and I believe has now had four three-assist nights in his rookie season, something that only one player in NHL history has ever done before, and that player is Ray Bork. So Quinn Hughes is in esteemed company at the moment in terms of the things that he is doing. And uh, I hope he can keep the scoring pace going because counting stats, unfortunately, is going to be a determinant factor in who wins the Calder this year between Hughes and McCarr. And I wish that wasn't the case, but that really does seem to be the way the media thinks, especially guys out east who aren't necessarily watching either of these guys on a night-in and night basis, uh, night-out basis. You are seeing, look, I got, I got fooled. I'll say it. You can go back to November, the game that uh, the Canucks played against the Avalanche uh, in that month. I got, I watched one night of Kale McCarr, the outlet passes that he was making, the setups that he was making that led to goals. And the goals weren't even very good. The goals should have been stopped. They were not uh, particularly good shots uh, that beat whoever it was, Demko. I think Demko was in for that one. You know, Nazem Kadri had a goal that Demko sh- should have stopped 100%. I was so impressed by the pass that set the, up that play in the first place, though, that I was like, it's over. Call it right now. Kale McCarr's going to run away with this thing. No, he's not. He is not. And don't let anybody tell you that he is. Do not feel bad for championing. There you go. I can say it this time. Championing. Quinn Hughes. The boys from Roxy Fever, Jackson, Viaz, and Elliot uh, made the case on their show this week that you should be doing online coordinated harassment campaigns against Avs fans, against anyone who wants to tell you that Quinn Hughes should not uh, win the Calder this year. Quinn Hughes needs your support. He is coming to you once again to ask you uh, to do coordinated harassment on his behalf to make sure that everyone out there knows. Yes, be loud, be annoying, 
be as annoying as you possibly want to be. Do not for one second worry about the fact that anybody is going to judge you for your support of Quinn Hughes. He deserves it. He needs to win this thing. I want to see Vancouver win the Calder two years in a row because their players have been that damn good to deserve it. It's not a, I want my team's player to win this over any other team. It's, I think Quinn Hughes is the best rookie in hockey by far, and everyone should agree with me, because if you don't, you're an idiot. It's like if you didn't like the Sedins back when they were playing. Nobody holds that opinion anymore, but certainly a lot of people did at the time. And you know why nobody holds it anymore? Because they were wrong, and they don't want to own that. So there are people who are going to tell you, well, Kale McCarr has uh, a certain advantage. No, he does not. There is no player making a bigger impact as a rookie on their team this year than what Quinn Hughes is doing on this defense right now. So be happy about it. And be happy about the fact that Jake Vertanen scored his 16th goal of the year. A new career high looks like he is going to easily make it to 20 this season unless he really falls off a cliff here in the last 25 games, which I don't think is going to happen personally. Um, be happy about that. But also, keep your expectations of what Jake Vertanen is in check. I am excited to see this team, fingers crossed, make the playoffs here. I am excited to see what Jake Vertanen could potentially do in the playoffs should the team make it that far. But it does not make Jake Vertanen so good that he is having a better season than Brock Besser. Oh, he's going great right now. Oh, better, better player than Besser, too. We could probably trade Brock Besser if you ask me. <laughs> this is a fan and a media take. There are people in the media here in this city who I will not name, but they know who they are, who privately are planning all kinds of trades to get Brock Besser out of town, who think that this guy does not have the foot speed to keep up with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson. And if you can't skate with uh, one of the fastest lines in the league, then you shouldn't be on the team, apparently. You are planning a Brock Besser trade on a roster that currently has Jake Vertanen and Louis Erickson as top six wingers right now? Are you kidding me? It is not a problem to have a player like Brock on the third line playing with Adam Gaudet on a scoring third line. That is a champagne problem. That is a luxury. You should be relishing the fact that we have this. When we came into the year, you know, pulling our hair out, or I was anyways, of the fact that, you know, Nikolai Goldobin and Sven Berchi were not on the team, that they chose to, to run with two checking lines in the bottom six instead of a top nine. Now they still have two checking lines. One of them happens to be the second line that is also a hybrid scoring line with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson. But, you know, three lines that can score is what we've been wanting here forever. You have that. The fact that Brock Besser might be in a, a mini slump right now, he is still easily one of the five best players on this team. He is not the problem with anything. Anytime this team, you know, struggles, anytime something goes wrong, the it's not Brock Besser's fault. Certainly not. He is part of the solution. He is not part of the problem. And people who think, well, we if you, you got to trade something to get something good in return, that's true. But who do teams make available when they make, you know, big swaps like this? It's never it's never a surefire hit coming back. Never. It's it's Alex Galchenyuk. You know, it's it's look at another trade. Oh, it's Alex Galchenyuk again. And again and again. <laughs> if you give up Brock Besser in a trade right now, 
I guarantee you he will be the best player in that trade. And if you give up the best player in a trade, you're losing the trade. That's just how it works. So don't try to book him off this roster. Don't think the fact that they won 6-2 without him in the lineup means that they don't need him. Not every team is the Nashville Predators. Certainly not the teams that you're going to run into when you make it into the playoffs. So hold your horses here. Remember what it felt like to watch Brock Besser in his rookie season at a time when this team had nothing else to excite you other than the dwindling careers of the Sedin twins. Remember how that felt. The fact that you have some new baubles, some shiny new toys to look at, does not mean that you need to get rid of this guy. And the fact that he was first doesn't mean that he has extra emotional attachment to him either. You know, the fact that Jake Vertanen is from Abbotsford, yes, that is extra emotional attachment. If Brock Besser grew up in Langley, if Brock Besser was from Pitt Meadows, it would be an outrage in this city that he wasn't the captain of this team right now. It would be an outrage uh, anytime anything bad happened to him. People would flip their lids. He'd be out of the lineup and people wouldn't be saying, well, we can stand to get rid of this guy. Look what they did without him. People would be saying, they just lost their most dangerous weapon. The pride of Pitt Meadows. Are you kidding me? The idea that this team can go without Brock Besser, look at the forward lines right now. Look at who is here. Look at the depth that this team has up front. You know, even missing Josh Levo, even missing Michael Furland, take all those guys off the IR, look at the entire forward depth of this group. It's a lot of third liners. It's a lot of middle six tweeners. It is not a lot of guys who can genuinely genuinely stake a claim to playing on a top power play or a top scoring line. Brock Besser can do those things. This team needs a player like Brock Besser. And the fact that he's not the fastest player on the team, he can't skate with Elias Pettersson and create with him off the rush, not a problem. Not a problem. He's still a very good player. Do not make rash trades. Do not try to get rid of one of your five best players one of your young players as well. That doesn't make sense. That This team should be looking to get rid of guys at the deadline, sure. Not Jacob Markstrom. Sorry, J.D. Burke. And certainly not Brock Besser either. And it's a shame that he got injured when he did in that game against Calgary because I thought Brock was playing his best game in a long time. He was ripping that puck in the first period. He was shooting a lot. He was doing all the kinds of things that we hadn't seen him do lately. Uh... Looked like he was having himself a whale of a game. You could feel that he was going to score in it, and instead, he's injured. He's out for at least a week. Team will reevaluate after Wednesday night's game. Could be back for Sunday, but uh, not looking great for Brock right now. Doesn't mean he should be traded. Doesn't mean the team doesn't need him. He is a very important part of this roster, and uh, he will play his role when it's all said and done. You know, whatever that Gandalf quote is about uh, <laughs> uh, about uh, uh, Gollum, you know, uh, we, we don't know. We don't know what roles people will play for evil or for good when it's all said and done in the end. But I have a feeling that whatever Brock Besser does is going to be for good anyways. Um, fun game, weird game. Canucks had a big emotional high, uh, scored a bunch of goals. Kind of let up when they were up 4-0, which is natural. That lull was entirely natural. Jacob Markstrom, just playing like crazy. What a player. What a goalie. What a guy. 
Honestly, that sequence in the Calgary game where Granlund uh, had like three clean looks and Markstrom stopped them all, and then Granlund ran Markstrom, and Markstrom just jumped and ran Granlund right back. Um, Michael Backlund, rather. Sorry. Got Michael McHale, sorry, Granlund on my mind from uh, having just watched the Canucks beat the Nashville Predators. It was another Michael or McHale, as the case may be, Michael Backlund that I was thinking of there. So my apologies for that uh, little confusion. But that moment when Markstrom charged at Backlund, that, that got me fired up, ladies and gentlemen. I was ready to run through a wall at that point. That was one of the best things I've seen from this Canucks team all season long. And you can complain that it was just a demonstration that nobody had pushback on this team to stand up for each other other than the goalie. You can say that if you want. I can say that I... Friggin' loved what Markstrom did there. I thought that was spectacular. And on a night when the team wins 6-2, to two, you don't hear any complaints about toughness or pushback or, you know, getting pushed around by guys. Yes, yes, Elise Pettersson got drubbed by the Flames on Saturday night. Yes, it felt like the officials took Travis Green's criticisms of them after the Boston game as an invitation to just call the worst game imaginable on Saturday night against the Flames. Just let everything go. Let Calgary just assault Elias Pettersson all night long and get away with it. Not not call a single thing as they just impeded this guy at every single turn. And look, the referees are human. We have to remember that. And I'm not saying that in the sense that they're going to make mistakes. Humans make errors, and we have to account for that. No, I'm saying that they are petty little pieces of crap, just like you and me. When you get slighted, when you get criticized at work, when someone tells you that you did a bad job after you went out of there and did your best, how do you feel in your job? You probably don't feel very good about it. You probably don't feel very good about the person who told you that. Remember, as we close the door on Legends Night here, <laughs> another Canuck legend and a lesson learned from him. I'm talking about Alex Burroughs and his run-in with OJ, Felix OJ, I believe it was. No, that's Felix OJ Aliasim. Uh, Pierre OJ? I don't, it doesn't matter. The referee, you know who I'm talking about. The guy who <laughs> Burroughs called out. That guy went out of his way to basically embarrass Alex Burroughs all the time. All the time. The referees are human in a bad way sometimes. So for all the people who are saying, oh, I think it's great, Travis Green going out there, calling his shot, telling people uh, – you know, the, that uh, that Pedersen deserves more penalties, that, that they need to be doing a better job. He's staking his claim right now so that when he says that again in the playoffs or towards the end of the season, he can say, well, I already said it. Or he can get the fans to rally around him. Yes, there was that benefit of it, but there is a drawback as well, which is criticize the officials. They're not going to appreciate it a whole heck of a lot. They are not going to take your suggestions under advisement. They're probably going to be even worse than they were before, and that is what we have seen so far. That's our show for the day. I just talked off the top of my head for about half an hour straight, so I hope you enjoyed that. I didn't even really talk about the game very much, um, but it was a good game. Really not a whole lot to uh, talk about as far as you know criticisms of guys. It's not like Saturday where Markstrom was getting screened left, right, and center by Quinn Hughes and Jake Vertanen and all of his own teammates, but uh, hey, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I will be back perhaps even later today. I do want to get out another show um, uh, just talking about the Sedins uh, with some people that know them quite well. Uh, over the course of this week, I'm going to be fully leaning into the fact that it is Sedin week here on the show. So 
look forward to that. Um, yeah, uh, this is coming to you on Tuesday morning. There will probably be another show by Tuesday night, I would imagine. So look forward to that. Um, but good to do a sh- solo show here. I felt like I was leaning on guests as a bit of a crutch lately, and it's nice to just unload off the top of my dome here. Just go right off the top of my head and, and say whatever's on my mind. Hope you enjoyed that. If you did, you can head on over to the uh, the Apple Podcasts store and leave me a, a, a review, ratings and reviews. I always like reading the nice things that people write about the show. If you listen to this show uh, every day or as often as it comes out anyways, uh, please leave me a review. Just that's all I'm asking for you uh, to do. I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for... You know, anything else other than just write some nice words about me in the Apple Podcast Store. I, re- I really appreciate it. Or wherever you get the show from. I know you can't leave reviews on Spotify, but I guess anywhere else you could do that. It's good for me. I, I appreciate it. So thank you for that in advance. Uh, until tomorrow, or later tonight as the case may be, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.